Grace, mercy, and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers, my sisters, in Christ. Fire is hot, and glass is fragile. But I'm guessing you knew that already. I'm guessing that you have learned long ago that fire is hot, whether by experience or by observation. And I'm guessing you already know that glass is fragile. But when I say the same truth in a slightly different way, something different happens. When I say, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned, I'm communicating to you that fire is hot, but you understand by this saying that I'm saying much more. When I say to you, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, you understand that that saying makes sense because glass is fragile. But you also know that we're talking about much, much more. We have these sayings like this, don't we, that rely on natural laws on common sense, like fire is hot and glass is fragile, but we use these sayings to expose how other people, or ourselves, are not living by common sense. Play with fire, you're going to get burned, you say, about the person who avoids paying their taxes, and now they're getting audited and in trouble by the IRS. Play with fire, you're going to get burned. Or maybe you say that about the person who constantly skips school, <clears throat> doesn't do a single assignment, and now they're getting into drugs, and now they're going to have to, they're going to have to repeat their sophomore year of high school. Play with fire, you're going to get burned. Those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, you say, about the person who doesn't literally live in a glass house and is literally throwing stones, but about someone who is criticizing other people for flaws that they themselves have as well. So we use these sayings that rely on common sense, on things everybody knows, like fire, hot, glass, fragile, to expose how sometimes people, and including ourselves, act against common knowledge. And Jesus does the same thing, essentially, <coughs> excuse me, with his parables. Those of you who grew up in the church probably heard at Sunday school at some point a parable in Jesus in the Gospels is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But what a parable is also is it's an opportunity. Because every time Jesus shares a parable, he's displaying for us a common situation. Now we're a couple years removed from Jesus' immediate context, but we still get it. We still envision how would we act in this situation. And he relies on our common knowledge, but with his parables, he exposes spiritually, now we don't always act according to common sense, according to common knowledge. And that's exactly what he's doing with this morning's parable. So let's see how he accomplishes this for us. He's talking and he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Super normal, very normal thing to do. Some guy, probably rich guy, owns a plot of land and he's going to 
harvest grapes from it. So he tills the soil, he, he hires servants to come take care of it. But already, the people listening to Jesus kind of tell, can tell where, what he's getting at. Because the text says that Jesus told them another parable, which means that this parable follows hot on the heels of the parable we heard last week. Jesus told this parable last week in last week's gospel about a dad who had two sons. He goes up to his sons. He says, both of you, I want you to go work in the yard for a little while. The first one says, sure, dad, of course, and then he doesn't. And the second one says, no way, dad, I'm not going to. But then he changes his mind and he does. So with this parable, Jesus is continuing this theme he has of people asking people to do stuff, but we already have a clue on where he's going with it. Because of whom he's speaking this parable to. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the pastors, the teachers, the people who were very, very important in the synagogues, in the temple of God. And they already know Somehow, he's talking about them. So already, their blood could be boiling. Their blood pressure could be going up. Their hairs could be standing on end, because they get the picture. They also know Isaiah chapter 5, which was our first lesson, about this prophecy of Isaiah about God building a vineyard. But really, it was an illustration of God and the people of Israel. So they get that the landowner is God. But who are the tenants? They understand that's them. It's as if Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, saying to the teachers of the law, Dear religious leaders, if I may call you that, because if I call you religious leaders, that means that your job has something to do with religion. And if your job has something to do with religion, that means it's your job somehow to tell people about God, to show people about spirituality. But you haven't done a good job of that, have you, religious leaders? Did you forget that you had a job to do, that you were hired, so to speak, by the landowner, by God, to perform a task? Or did you get so wrapped up in the prestige of being a religious leader, did you actually buy into the lie that when people brought their offerings to the temple, that they were bringing those to you and not to God? Did you get confused, religious leaders, and forget that the respect people give to you is due to the fact of what they expect from you. That you don't have this position of privilege and prestige in the church just because you're such a great person, but because people should expect from you, religious leaders, to be comforted, to be pointed to God, to be taught about what God says in His Word. So already, if you're a Pharisee, if you're a, if you're a teacher of the law, if you're a religious leader... Already you know Jesus is somehow, some way, coming after you with this parable. But maybe, maybe you wouldn't quite be aware of where he's going with this. Jesus continues, When harvest time approached, he, the landowner, sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And I think it's safe to say at this point in the parable, brothers and sisters, we're kind of leaving common sense behind. We're kind of abandoning 
the natural way things go. Super normal for a landowner to expect that the people that he hired are going to get him a crop. Super normal that when it's harvest time, either the landowner would go himself or he would hire even more people to go collect the crops from his tenants. What's not normal is that the very tenants the landowner hires would hate, would mistreat, would abuse the people who are just trying to make sure they're doing their job. So what is Jesus saying? God, the landowner, throughout history has sent people to his people to shepherd them, to take care of them, and also to make sure, to encourage them to keep producing fruit. We call them the prophets. From Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel to John the Baptist, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to his people, especially to the leaders of his people, to make sure they were still producing fruit. But what did people do every single time? There was always people who mistreated them and abused them and sometimes even killed them. How ridiculous. That makes no sense. The very same people God expects something out of are the people who are abusing his prophets. And so when Jesus shares this part, he know, the Pharisees know what he's doing. Jesus is lumping them in with the throes of people who throughout history have mistreated and abused and even done violence to God's representatives, the prophets. And he knows ahead of time what they're going to do to him. And at this point is maybe when I have to check myself, is when we have to check ourselves. Before we start fist pumping and say, yeah, Jesus, come after these hypocrites. Knock them down a few pegs. You've got to teach them what's what. Because hasn't God set me apart to work in his vineyard, as it were? Hasn't God given me a task to do? And doesn't am I not responsible to God to perform that task? I'm not just talking about me being a pastor. I'm talking about any of us who are Christians, who wear the name Christian. By wearing that name, we are saying we are set apart by God to do God's work. But just like the Pharisees got so comfortable, got so used to just being called Pharisees, just like the leaders got so used to being called leaders, is it possible that I'm so used to being called a Christian that I'm forgetting what it is I'm supposed to be doing, that I'm forgetting who has set me apart, that I'm forgetting who I'm responsible to, that I'm not loving the people God has placed in my life the way God wants me to? That we are not serving the people around us in our families and outside of our families the way God would have us serve. That we're not producing the fruit God wants to see out of us. We don't want to shake a fist at the Pharisees because we would be shaking that same fist against ourselves. But that's not even the worst of it. Here's where the parable really goes off the rails. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, 
He will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. The tenants in this parable make no sense. They have no common sense. Let's kill the son and take his inheritance? What law court in the history of the world would honor that? Would say, oh, you're the one who killed the son of the landowner? Let's just give all his stuff to you. They are not thinking straight. They are being irrational. But they're exposing what their motive was all along. An irrational, a non-thinking, a nonsensical desire for selfish gain. They were so committed, these tenants in this parable, so committed to getting something out of the situation that they didn't even think twice about actually producing fruit for the guy that hired them. Just like the Pharisees abandoned common sense and forgot who they were, forgot who they were responsible to and the kind of fruit God was expecting of them, that they even take the Son, Jesus Christ, and they see him as a threat. They see him as a threat to their comfortability, to their prestige, to their power, to their authority, to their fat pockets. And they kill him. Just like if you and I prized gain and what I can get out of it so much that we refuse to do what God wants us to do, that we refuse to be the people God wants us to be, that would make no sense. That would be the absolute depth of depravity. Because not only would these would us people set apart by God not be fulfilling our task, we'd be running in the exact opposite direction. And according to common sense, there's only one thing you should do when someone you've hired isn't doing their job. Cut them off. But in fact, according to common sense, when should the landowner have fired his tenants and cut them off? Maybe when he found out that there wasn't a single grape to be had. Maybe before he even sent a single servant to go and check in on them. But what do we see about the landowner? We see that he does everything to give these tenants a chance to do what they're supposed to do. Why did God continuously send prophet after prophet after prophet and then send his son? Because we have a God who will do everything to give us a chance. But what we also see through the Pharisees, through these tenants, and even through us, is that when mankind is at their worst, when we are being our most wicked, our most evil, our most depraved, God's kingdom doesn't stop. That's Jesus' point when he says to them, have you never read the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The Pharisees tripped over Jesus like he was a rock in their path. Because they didn't have eyes to see God's plan, because they didn't have eyes to see God's purpose and love and comfort, 
They couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah of love and grace who came to save mankind from our sins. So they tripped. But that didn't stop that rock from becoming the cornerstone on which God would build his kingdom. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were so against Jesus being the Savior, were so anti-Christ, that they killed him. They put him on a cross. That was the worst thing that they could have done. But they did their worst, and that's about as far as their power, as their ability, went. God's kingdom doesn't stop. It's not as if when they crucified Christ, God and his kingdom were like, oh no, what am I going to do? They've messed everything up. The very Savior that they put on the cross became a beacon of hope, of love, of forgiveness for all of us sinners. They stumbled over this rock, but Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives, of our eternity, because in Jesus, you have seen him for who he really is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is your Savior from your sin, from your depravity, from your wickedness. And just because the Pharisees didn't get it, just because the teachers of the law didn't didn't enact the purpose and the role that God gave them, doesn't mean that God's kingdom stopped. God's kingdom of grace and of forgiveness and of love and salvation is an unstoppable machine. And it has come to you. The Pharisees didn't see it, and so God took the kingdom away from them, and he's given it to you. He has set you apart in his kingdom. He has given you a role to fill. If you're like me, you look at the Pharisees and you wonder, well, how do I avoid making the same mistake? How do I avoid doing the same thing? Well, remember one key difference between you and them. They didn't know who Jesus was. They couldn't put two and two together that Jesus was the Messiah. That was the first thing anyone taught you when you came to faith. Who is Jesus? You know him as your Savior. Whether the moment that you were convinced of this was when you were baptized long ago, or whether it was when somebody taught you about Jesus by, by word of mouth you already are starting off on a different different point than the Pharisees because you know Jesus to be your Savior and the Savior of mankind, which means you know that you are in God's vineyard, you are in God's kingdom, that you are responsible to God to live out his purpose for people. To love the people God has placed in your life as God's tenants in his vineyard, as citizens of God's kingdom. To serve the people God has placed in your path, in your families, outside of your families, in your communities, the way God would, would have you. Because that's what we're here to do. See, now we can introduce common sense back into this equation. Just like fire is hot, just like glass is fragile, Christians put Jesus first and love people the way God wants us to. That's as simple as common sense. If you're worried about how you can produce fruit in God's kingdom, first remember that God's kingdom has come to you through the preaching of the word and through faith, that God's kingdom is within you as you know God to be your Savior. 
And now you know that God's kingdom is going to come through you. As God uses you, tenants, you servants, you people of God, you Christians, to share his love with others. So bearing fruit for God, that's just common sense. Amen.